Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. He is risen, church. He is risen Amen. You know, as I was driving in, probably like many of you, I uh, listened to the announcement that we're going to be under this uh, shelter-in-place order now until the middle of May. But I want to remind you of a truth. David, the author of so many of the Psalms, as he was speaking prophetically and messianically, of Messiah in the 16th Psalm reminded us the grave couldn't hold Jesus. The the grave couldn't hold him. And this coronavirus can't hold the church either. What was true before this all started is going to be true after it's over. And it will be over. And so I want to encourage you, during this time, which seems like an eternity which in light of real eternity is not an eternity. Let's maintain our joy in the Lord uh, and let's keep our eyes fixed on heaven. I want to speak to you this morning on Easter, this day that's like none other for the church. This is really uh, the Super Bowl of all of the things that we as the body of Christ do each year. This is the one event that we look forward to every single year where we are allowed the privilege of of gazing on that empty tomb. And I want to do that with you today. And so if you join me, we'll pray. We're going to be in John chapter 20. And so if you want to turn there, uh, we'll begin uh, with the story uh, of Mary Magdalene as she runs to the tomb, uh, followed by Peter and John and this incredible message of the resurrection revealed. Would you join me and let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you uh, that this virus that has swept over the world is absolutely incapable of undermining your plans. It it is unable, Lord, of defeating uh, your amazing grace. It it cannot conquer, Lord, the, the church, The gates of hell itself will not prevail, Lord, against the body of Christ. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and so we pray, encourage, Lord, your church as we reveal the power of the resurrection on this, your day. Lord, we give you this time. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. While you're online, I want to encourage you that we have pastors available and they'll be available throughout the entire message and they'll be available after uh, the message to both answer questions and to pray with you. Uh, And maybe today you don't know the King of Kings and you don't know the Lord of Lords. Uh, We pray that today for you is not just an Easter where we're celebrating uh, a religious holiday, but for you it is the day of your salvation John chapter 20 and verse 1. And now the first day of the week, that would be Sunday. Mary Magdalene, and I I want you to remember that there are uh, numerous Marys in the Easter story. There, of course, is Mary, who is Jesus' mother. 
There's also Mary, who is the sister of Martha and of Lazarus. And here we find yet a third Mary, Mary of Magdala. Mary of Migdal, this woman whom Jesus touched, a woman who previously had a story that wasn't great, that now has a great story and a wonderful testimony. It is Mary Magdalene whose life has been transformed by the grace of God. And she went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and, and then came Peter, also surnamed Simon, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That would be John who authors this gospel and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. And Peter therefore went out with the other disciple and as they were going to the tomb, they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And I always love this. You can tell that John wanted to brag a little bit and so he leaves his name out and simply says, he whooped on Peter defeated him in a foot race to the tomb. We don't know is, is the assumption. And so they ran together. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen claws lying there, but he yet did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him. And he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen claws lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself, a little bit of a mystery. Jesus passes through those grave clothes as if to say, you might want to check this out, leaving the head cloth in a different place, kind of getting everybody thinking, well, why is that? How could that happen? Couldn't be a grave robber. Couldn't be that somebody got in there and stole the body. There was, there was too much order. There should have been chaos. And then the other disciple who came to the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. He believed. It struck him. It finally got to John for as yet he did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping and as she wept she stooped down and she looked into the tomb. One by one, as the Spirit prompts them, they see the same information, they understand the same thing. In church, that is the problem for every pastor at Easter. We have the same information. We're recounting the same story. We're telling the same details. But when does it reach your heart? When does it come to you that you look and you believe? That's the question. That remains the question for all of humanity. And she saw the two angels sitting in white nearby and one at the head, the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. That certainly would have gotten her attention. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and do not know where they have laid him. And you notice the uncertainty, you notice the insecurity, you notice the isolation, you notice probably some of the things that many of you have been dealing with for this last month. 
Well, I'm not sure. I don't know what's going to become of all these things. And in a very magnified way, I think this Easter, as we're separated, actually has the potential to be used mightily of the Lord in each of our lives for this very reason. Has your faith become more real because of this? I pray it has. Has your desire for the things of the Lord become greater? I pray it has. You see, if we allow it, God can use these things which we do not understand. And now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Now I want you to notice this. She sees him, but she doesn't see him. She sees a form, but she has yet to identify who this form is. She did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? And I want you to focus in on this. That question is very important. You see what they knew was Jesus had died. They knew Jesus had been buried. They knew Jesus had been beaten and scourged. They knew a lot of things about Jesus. And so Jesus asked the question that again is the question that all of us must answer. Whom are you seeking? Are you looking for a guy whose story is told in a book? Are you looking just simply for a historical figure? Are you looking for a mythological prophet? Whom are you seeking today? That's the question. And she, supposing him to be the gardener, I love this. She still doesn't get it. She still hasn't quite tuned in. Her spiritual antenna have not zoned in on this man and who he is And she said to him, Sir, have you carried him away? Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. You see, she came to finish what was hastily begun on Good Friday. She came to finish the burial process. She came to anoint the body of Jesus and finish what had been started. And I want you to notice what happens next, because these are the words for you and for me today. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus says the same thing to you. Just insert your name. Jeff, it's me. Mary, it's me. And she turned to him and said, Rabboni, teacher, And Jesus looked right into her. As you can almost imagine the beauty of this moment. Don't cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. And then Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. And that he had spoken these things to her. My question for you today is, what does the empty tomb reveal to you? What is it that's going on in your heart in this moment, 
in this time that we're separated, this time that we're isolated, in this time that if you were with us on Good Friday, we finished with Jesus speaking seven specific things from the cross. There are things familiar to each of you, more than likely. To some of you, they may be new, but to all of us, they are truths because Jesus is risen. When Jesus cried out from the cross these seven statements, if he does not rise, those things are not true. If he remains in the grave, if he is actually dead, then we are actually dead still in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus is alive. Now we know because the Gospels further tell us, we know because the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth tells us, we know because the book of Acts records for us these details that perhaps thousands of people ultimately saw Jesus alive before he ascended to heaven. That fact really can't even be contested. There were so many eyewitnesses that Jesus' reality of his resurrection would not be debated especially in that first century in the region of Galilee and in Jerusalem. There are parts of Scripture that I think the easiest way for us to understand them is to personalize them, to make them first person personal to us, to insert our own name or to put the first person pronoun me in their place. You see, when Jesus met Mary that first Easter morning, he met me. He loved me. He spoke kindly to me. He went through the fires of hell for me. He rose for me. He ascended for me. He received the Spirit for me. This is a me moment. This is me standing in front of Jesus and having him look and say, Jeff. You see, David was right. The grave could not hold him. Death had no sting on Jesus. Death was defeated at the cross and by Easter morning, that which every one of us fears, that which is freaking people out right now, that which is causing people absolute destruction of their mental faculties, that, that this virus might take our lives, that virus cannot take my life. Oh, it can end my physical existence, but my life is now hidden in Christ. And I who live, I live in him. I am eternal in that sense. And because Jesus is raised, I do not fear death itself. So what did Jesus bring our way on that first Easter morning? And I want to move fairly quickly through pieces of the story that you all know. Jesus revealed to me personally perfect forgiveness at the cross and he made good on it in his resurrection 
You see, if he had said to the two criminals this story that we have in Luke 23, there were two others, criminals. Interesting word that's translated there from the Greek. It literally means evil ones. They weren't petty thieves. They were evil. We don't know what they had done, but it was bad. You see, they were led with him to be put to death. And as we shared in 1 Peter 3.18, his sacrifice was the just one for the unjust. You see, he was speaking to me about my forgiveness. Because when he said to that thief that believed, when he said to you and I, that were listening in absentia, we weren't there, but for all intents and purposes, we were. Because the message is still true. One on the right, one on the left, and Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, both of them. But only one of them accepted that forgiveness. And so I ask you, have you seen Jesus and have you believed in him so that you can have that forgiveness? Father, forgive them, forgive me. And praise God, I believe that he has forgiven my sins because I've confessed them. And he is perfect in his forgiveness when I confess. And he's perfect in his cleansing when I confess. And so I know that those things will never be held against me. That legal transaction that we saw that occurred on Good Friday. The just for the unjust. The full measure of the penalty that I owed paid by Jesus. As he is now risen, that forgiveness is mine. It belongs to me. I have it just as the thief who believed had it. In the sense that Jesus became poor, that we might become rich, exactly as the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor, and through his poverty we might become rich, the just for the unjust. You see, he, he made good on that promise when he rose. When he saw Mary, Mary, you can have assurance that your sins are forgiven. A second thing, he reveals eternal life. And not just eternal life in the eternal sense, but eternal life right now. The abiding life today. And there in Luke 23, as they divided Jesus' garments, as they looked up at that sign that was above the cross, it said, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, in both Greek and Hebrew and Latin as well. One of the thieves that's hanging there, the one that didn't believe, blasphemes the Lord. And he says, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. The thief that believed had it right. That thief understood fully what was about to happen. So look, we're here because we deserve it. He's innocent. And he says to Jesus, would you remember me 
when you come into your kingdom? If you have believed on the risen Lord, he will remember you when you get there. When you see Jesus for the first time face to face, it won't be Jesus saying, well, what are you doing here? It will be enter in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in now to my kingdom of rest. And to that thief, what Jesus said, to put that into perspective, is assuredly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you're, you're going to see me in paradise. And as Jesus spoke those words, he was speaking them in a situation where there were three men dying on crosses. Three men who all would lose their lives in that sense. But to one, he's saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. To the other, he's saying, you will not be with me in paradise. You see, meeting Jesus is essential to eternal life. You must, Jesus said, be born again. And if you are born again, if you have believed on the risen Lord, the one who is alive, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, if you believe in him, then you have eternal life, church. For those of you watching, maybe you're, you're visiting with family. You're in that small group. And you might be sitting there, well, what's this guy talking about? What I'm talking about is your eternity. I'm talking about the truth of where you will spend eternity. That's what I'm talking about. Because Jesus made it the reality for all who believe, but you must believe. You cannot have it by knowing about it. You can't have it because your grandmother had it. You can't have it because your mom and dad are faithful in church. You can't have it because you're an American and we live in a Christian country. You can't have it because you go to church. You can't have it because you have all kinds of sacraments that you've done. You've read through the entire Bible. Jesus spoke to the thief who believed and said to him today, you have it. You have eternal life. It wasn't because he got baptized. It wasn't because he belonged to a church. It was because he believed on the only begotten Son of God. And when he was raised, when Jesus was raised, that thief will also be raised. And so will all of us who believe in him. A third thing. A very tender moment in the life of Jesus and in now another Mary. In John chapter 19, we also see, and when Jesus therefore saw his mother, so this would be his mom, Mary, and the disciple whom he loved, that would be John, standing by, Jesus looked at his mother and said, Woman, behold your son. Can you imagine? You who are moms, 
Put yourself in this situation. Unrecognizable. Jesus has been torn to bits. He's dying. He's hanging on the cross and he says, Mom, I'm right here. But then he said to John, to the disciple, Behold your mother. He said, John, I want you to take care of my mom. She's going to need somebody to care for her. She's going to need a son. I'm leaving and I, I want you to step into that place. I want you to substitute for me. I'm going to ascend to heaven, but she's still going to need someone to care for her. Can I tell you that Jesus knows what you have need of before you do? And whatever it is, he's got more than enough of whatever you need to take care of your needs. Maybe you need a friend right now. Maybe you're missing your parents. Maybe you're missing your children. Some of you might even be missing your work. You might be missing your job right now. That's hard to imagine a month ago that we'd actually be missing going to work. But I'm sure some of you are right now. God knows what's missing in your life. And he knows how to put a substitute in its place. And it will always be him. It will always be the king of kings. It will always be the Lord of lords. It's inserted in there. But he very often does that through people. That's why your connection right now with people you love is still very important. As Mary looked up at the plaque that was above Jesus' head, that titulus, the sign that was up there, and it was normally the crimes or crime or at least the major crime that someone had committed. That's why they're being crucified there in Hebrew, that would have been the national language of the Jewish people. It was also in Greek, that would be the regional language of the Gentiles. And in Latin, that would have been the language of government. And right now we're hearing a lot of different languages in our news cycle. We're, we're listening to these words that are coming our way and they're coming very fast. And probably some of you are wondering, well, well am I under the power of the government? Am I under the power of myself? Am I under the power of perhaps the, the media? No, there's one power that's above every power. There's one name that's above every name and it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, when will you allow that to happen? When will you let the substitution be made in your life? When will you let go of the things of the world and grab hold of the things of heaven. You see, as Mary looked at her son, she was totally helpless. Perhaps you're feeling that way right now. Maybe you have someone who's contracted this dreaded virus and you're, you want to go help, you want to, go, you want to bring them soup, you want to do something. But Mary couldn't bandage Jesus. 
Jesus had a horrible thirst. She could do nothing about it. Jesus, no doubt, wanted to hold her son, and she couldn't. Jesus wanted to, was on the cross, and I'm sure Mary would have loved to pull those nails out of his hands and his feet. She wanted to bandage his side. But Jesus simply looks at her and says, you can't do that right now, but it's going to be okay. John's going to take care of you. Church, we need to put this into perspective in our own time. God's going to take care of this. He has a plan. And as awful as this time has been, and I've talked to an awful lot of people, but this is the worst thing in their own human memory that they can think of that's ever happened to our country. And they're wondering what's going to happen next. What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to our jobs? What's going to happen to our families? How are we going to get through this? Can I tell you, God has a plan. He's got a plan. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us, says the Lord. These are promises. He's got a way to interject himself into this situation and it's going to be okay. A fourth thing, another revelation, if you will, it revealed the why in our question from Good Friday. The chief priests in Matthew chapter 27 were, were mocking with the scribes and the elders and looking at Jesus, they said, he can save others, but he can't save himself. What, what kind of Messiah is that? Well, there was a bigger problem. There was a deeper question that was in view. And it would be the next thing that Jesus would cry from the cross. And it may be your cry right now. Maybe you are crying, why God? Why is this happening? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. If you haven't, you should. But Jesus cried out in this fourth saying from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. The very thing that David the psalmist said would be said in Psalm 22. And it's a question. And it's a why question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is the curse of sin. The answer is me. The answer is you. The answer is your problem before a holy God. My problem before a holy God. The answer is my sin separated me from God. The truth of the matter is when you think about your own life, you may be able to deceive yourself into believing that you've never sinned. But that would only be because you don't understand what sin is. Because sin is simply missing the mark of the perfection 
that God himself always has. And I think most of us in that light can recognize pretty clearly, I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so as Jesus cries out from the cross, as he makes good Easter morning, when he's raised from the grave and he meets Mary, he looks at Mary and said, look, this is the answer, Mary. This is why God, my father, turned his back on me. This is why my own dad, for the first time in all of eternity, turned his back on me because, Mary, I took your sin. I took the full measure of it, the full weight of it. My heavenly father, my father's justice demands that the price be paid. There needed to be a legal transaction made whereby your sin, Mary, was paid for. I paid it. That's why my father couldn't look on me. That's why he turned his back. That's why he, in essence, abandoned me. When everyone else abandoned me, even my father in heaven, while I took the weight of your sin, my father in heaven had to look away. You see, when Jesus was raised, he's saying, it's paid. The debt's knocked out. It's gone. You see, I'm always reminded of how the Jewish perspective would have been interjected into the situation. And surely they could have looked at Yom Kippur. And they would have remembered the scapegoat. And as the high priest would come and put his hands on the head of the goat and he would pray and and announce these sins, And that scapegoat would be set free into the wilderness. That innocent scapegoat was taking away the sins. And finally Jesus said, no more goats. No more bulls. No more blood. I'm going to take care of this permanently. Revealing the why question, the answer to it. Why? Because I had an unquenchable thirst and so did you. My horrible thirst. The next thing that you see here in the story of the resurrection. And after this, verse 28 of John 19, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, he's still hanging on the cross. And he said, I thirst. He had taken the fires of hell. His heavenly father had turned his back. He had died in my place and in yours. He had endured a mock trial. He'd endured the scourging. He'd carried his own cross to Golgotha. He's now nailed to that piece of wood that he himself created. The iron that made up those nails were just a tiny bit of his creative ability in shaping and molding this earth from nothing. And now as if to say, Jeff, I know what it's like to live in a world that's filled with sin. 
I know what it's like to be thirsty. I know what it's like to be you. I know what it's like to battle sin. I know what it's like to endure bitterness. I know what it's like to go through these things. Every single thing that you've ever been through, I've been through. Tested in all ways and yet without sin. Never caving in to the thoughts that I've had or you've had. Jesus was very alert to the suffering that he was undergoing. This was no mystery to him. And churches, you can imagine Jesus in this physical condition, the very water, the very substance of life had been drained out of him. There was nothing left. But yet it was not that that killed him. Matter of fact, nothing killed him. He, he surrendered his life. What was revealed that day? Well, it was revealed that he could quench my unquenchable thirst. Let him who thirsts come and drink of the water of life freely. That's my Jesus. That's who Mary and Peter and John and all of the disciples eventually would see. Can you imagine Peter on the beach at Tabka? Seven springs. Worrying about breakfast and here comes Jesus. Peter. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You see, Peter, I'm sure, was thirsty, hungry, wondering what life was going to hold for him now that Jesus was gone, and here comes the risen Lord. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. The same three times that Peter denied the Lord, Jesus gave him opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I'll get it right this time. That's my thirst. That's my humanness being tended to by the Savior. A sixth thing. As Jesus was raised he made good on the promise. These are all promises, by the way. He made good on the promise that the work is done. It's complete. It's finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, Tetelestai. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Surrendered it. And I love this word. It, it really is not understood in the English language the way we would understand it if we were all speaking Greek. But it pertains, of course, in a theological sense to our redemption. It's finished, it's completed, it's done, it's rounded out. There's nothing more to do. For by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourself. 
We can't boast about it. It's a gift of God. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've not been redeemed by my own good works. By the works of the flesh is no one justified. Scripture is very clear that someone else finished that work. Jesus made good on that Easter morning. Because he had said from the cross, to Telestai, it's finished. A farmer might look on his field, and as he's getting ready to harvest it, he, he would look at the field and say, to Telestai, it's ready to be harvested. He might look at an animal that's been perfectly raised and is now suitable for the things which he had intended it to, to do, maybe as a, as a beast of burden in the field, he would say, to Telestai. It was a word that Jesus very well knew from his father, his earthly father, Joseph, who was a carpenter. He would go to the chair that is now done and ready to be sat in, and he would say, son, to Telestai, it's finished. It's the word that an artist would use, a sculptor, a painter, the final brushstroke, the final chisel, the final grinding on the piece, he would look at it and say, this is as good as it gets, it's to Telestai, it's done. But it was also a priestly word. It was the word that the high priest would speak when he came from inside of the Holy of Holies after he had offered up prayers for himself and gone in and sprinkled the blood between the two cherubim on the mercy seat. He would back through the curtain, never turning his back on the holiness of God and once through the veil he would turn around and tetelestai. It's finished. The perfect sacrifice for sin is done. Again, our passage from Good Friday. The just one for the unjust one. For Mary, for Peter, for John, for Jeff, for you. A perfect finished work. Nothing need be added. And the final thing revealed on that first Easter morning, as Mary meets Jesus, as Peter and John have this foot race, it revealed the glories of the Father's waiting hands. And I love this. And what a way to bring this together to a close. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 46. And now it was about the sixth hour. Jesus endured the cross for six hours on that Friday. And there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened. And the veil in the temple had been torn from the top to the bottom in two. It had been ripped, it had been rent. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice. The final utterance 
Father, I'm coming home. You sent me and I came. I was your son that was given. I came to do not my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Father, that's you. I'm coming home. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Mary, one day you're going to be able to go home. Jeff, one day you're going to be able to go home. And having breathed these words, having said these words, he breathed his last. It's as if the breath and the words were connected. I'm coming home. He gave up his spirit. He yielded it. You see, so very often, we're tempted to say, you know, well, the Romans killed him. Or the Jewish religious leaders killed him. After all, they did cry out, we don't want this man to rule over us. Give us Barabbas. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus gave up his life for me. His life wasn't taken from him. He could have endured that for all eternity. Jesus could have hung on the cross forever. He was God. But he yielded up his spirit. He gave it away. The Greek word here means to lay down. It means to deposit with someone else, to give them charge over it. It's as if he takes this Roman instrument of torture and says, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a chariot. I'm going to make this a good thing. It's a horrible thing, but I'm going to make it a good thing. I'm going to use this as the way I go home to heaven. You see, so Romans 8.28 means what it says. He works all things together for the good. To those who love God and are the called according to his purposes. You see, what the enemy meant for evil, what the Jewish religious leaders were shouting, what Pilate failed to do in that he did not release Jesus even though he believed he was innocent, it didn't matter to Jesus because ultimately he would simply yield his spirit. Had there been no soldier, no centurion to look and say, certainly this is a righteous man, Jesus would have gone anyway. I've always pondered this and thought, what if no one had been there? Would Jesus have crucified himself? The answer to that is likely yes. He came to die. He came to die for you. He came to die for me. But he didn't just come to die. He came to live. You see, it didn't end on Friday. It still hasn't ended because his kingdom is eternal. My life is now hidden in him. My life is eternal. Death is defeated it no longer has the sting over those of us who love the Lord. 
What did that Easter morning reveal to us? There's a real short answer. God loves you. That's what it revealed. God loves you. He loves you so much that he allowed his son to be brutally tortured. He loves you so much that he allowed sin, your sin and mine, the sins of the world, the iniquity of us all, the prophet Isaiah said, to be heaped upon him. His stripes were for my peace. God loves you. He loves you so much that he wants to spend eternity with you. He loves you so much that he wants your sins forgiven so that that can happen. He loves you so much that when you ponder this, even the most hardened Roman centurion who had seen countless men die, whose job it was to put men to death, knew there was something different about Jesus. He'd never seen anyone die like this. He'd never seen anybody willingly give up. The Roman Jewish historian Josephus said it was not uncommon for people to last a week on the cross and to die of madness because it actually wasn't enough to kill most people. The cross wasn't enough to kill Jesus either. He yielded up his spirit. He gave it willingly for you. That's the glory of the risen Lord. That's the beauty, if you will, of the Easter story. That's what Mary learned that first Easter morning. That's what Peter and John, as they raced to the tomb, actually would understand. And church, I know this is, this is hard right now. And I don't diminish anyone's suffering at all. I think we're all going through things that were really unthinkable for us even a month ago. But can I tell you, Jesus is more than enough for these things. If he would endure the fires of hell on Calvary's cross, do you think he will abandon us now? If he would witness his own father turning his back because of your sin and mine, do you think he will ever turn his back on you? He won't. The story of Easter is the story of the risen Savior. It's not just of the crucifixion. It's not just of the pain and suffering. Those are all parts of the story, important parts. But the story of Easter is the risen Savior. It's the promise of perfect forgiveness. It's the promise of eternal life. It's the promise of a new family. It's the promise of my penalty for my sin being paid. It's the promise that I will never thirst after the things of this world ever again. It's the promise that what Jesus said he would do, he did do, he completed the mission. It is the promise 
then when I take my last breath here, the next thing I'm going to see is the same face that Mary saw. The face of Jesus. And so I encourage you. I pray you're strengthened today. And though admittedly this is strange that we would be meeting in a virtual way, it is also a beautiful picture of the transaction that was made 2,000 years ago for you when Jesus said, I'm coming home. One day, we're all going to go home. And in the intervening days, weeks, months, years, he's still sufficient for everything we face. And these truths are still yours if you'll believe on his name. I want to encourage you that we have pastors online right now. And if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, if you've never invited him into your life, if you've never prayed to receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord, there are pastors waiting right now to pray a simple prayer with you and to get your information so we can connect with you and make sure that your questions are answered, what you want to know about this salvation experience you can know. But I want you to know this. God loves you. Jesus is risen. And he has proved his love by being risen. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, as we draw to a close this particular part of our Easter Sunday here in the year 2020, Lord, I pray for those that are searching right now. I pray for those that do not know you, that don't have the peace that surpasses their own human understanding. Their, their hearts are not guarded in you, Jesus, right now because they do not know the risen Savior would they pick up that phone? Would they dial that number? Would they connect online? Would they simply invite you right now, Jesus, into their hearts? Jesus, you said it's simply enough that we would believe. And so speak those words of salvation over this world, Lord, whoever's watching. And if they do not know you, would salvation come to your house, Lord, this day? And for we who love you, we who await your return. God, would we redeem the time? Lord, we believe that these days are, are drawing to a close. And so we pray that our lives would count for your kingdom and for your glory. We thank you for the message of the empty tomb, for the revelation of the resurrection that has brought so much into our lives in the form of these promises, Lord, that perfect forgiveness, eternal life, a new family. My sins are forgiven. I won't thirst again. God, thank you for that mission completed and thank you that one day we can go to heaven. We bless you. We praise you. And we ask all of these things in the wonderful name of our risen Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.